1: Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides
0: an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have a great guest, Darwin Casey Diaz. He's a native of El Salvador and a former gang leader. He grew up in the mean streets of L.A. He was forced to fight for his life. He was eventually incarcerated as one of the most violent criminals in California and placed in solitary confinement. His life was forever changed, though, in that cell. We're going to find out why it changed. The reason, according to his book, was one day God approached Casey in a miraculous way. And we're going to find out about that story and more. You can catch his book, which I highly recommend. It was a great read. It's called The Shot Collar: a Latino gangbanger's miraculous escape from a life of violence to a new life in Christ. You'll find out what dangers this put Casey Diaz in. Before we get started, make sure to share, subscribe, and hit that like button. Oh, by the way, he also has a podcast called The Shot Collar." if you want to check that out. So let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the show, KCBS. Welcome,
0: sir. Hey, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you very much for being here. Again, and folks, yes, I do read the books when the authors come on to the show. And I just finished this book last night, and it was an amazing read. You have an amazing story, my friend. Really amazing story. I guess we'll start off with this. You had a very difficult upbringing. Um a challenging one that i've seen a lot of times with a lot of members of, of the gangs that have similar stories in some cases um, with physical abuse uh, neglect all these things um, tell us a little bit about that if you can and then we'll start going into what got you into gangs and things of that nature
0: well you know uh, um it, it, at first um uh, it, it started very innocently um i grew up in the, in the 70s born in 72. And so the, the whole part of the seventies for, for me as a kid was normal, you know, we went outside. It was still a, the, the generation that I think it was probably the last generation to to yeah. be outside and play. And, you know, uh, before Atari even stepped in and uh, video game, uh, you know, era started. So we went outside as kids still. And, and, uh, you know, play baseball and football and rock fights and that, that's what we had. And uh, so it, yeah, was just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just that too. Yeah, yeah, it's just just innocent kid stuff. And uh, you know, but but I, I noticed that right off the bat, even as a kid, that many of of my friends that I'm growing up with at that time, um, it was only one family that uh, that had a dad physically there oh, wow. at, at, at their home and there must have been maybe i, I want to say a good 15 to 20 of us kids that lived in a mile radius and we all hung out you know outside after school and like i said it was just sports it was you know innocent stuff um, but I, I i took notice and i think that some of the other kids uh, around the neighborhood also took notice of that and uh, we used to call them the the pit boys because it was uh it was all brothers <laughs> you know it was a Handful of brothers and we well we just call them the Pet Boys, uh, and 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 I actually reunited with them after thirty something years about a few weeks ago. Um, oh really, Matty Mo and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was pretty neat, you know, seeing each other as as adults, and they had heard about, uh, you know, where I took all the whole uh, uh, <laughs> the wrong road and and where it took me. Uh, but we we had a great reunion. But that's basically how I grew up and and uh you know I, you look at some of the, the stuff that as a as a child uh and, and you kind of think well this is normal because this is all you see is uh there's drugs right outside the door and uh, there's gang members uh but you're really not paying you know what's there but you're not paying attention to that because you still have that i, I believe that there was still innocence uh within our little group uh of, of kids um you know uh, and then of course the eighties came around and uh, breakdancing uh and all that stuff and graffiti that started coming along in Los Angeles. And uh, then things start to turn a little bit because now, you know, the gang culture starts to step in and well, it, it sticks its ugly nose and it, it's enticing to uh, kids that, well, where, where there's no dad, there's no leader. There's no uh, uh, a good uh, example or role model. And uh, the streets start, they start to look pretty good. And, uh, it, and that gang culture, look, it, make, it almost makes sense to go ahead and join because you have older gang members and all that stuff. Well, that's, that's, um, uh, but early on in my, in my life, it was, it, it was just being a kid, man.
1: You know, it's interesting because when I was reading your book, I was like, he grew up, I was born in 71, and I grew up in Panorama City. So reading your book, I was like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) I know some of these neighborhoods. This was kind of like weird flashbacks um, going on. there. I think you even made one comment in the book about gangs from LA compared to gangs in San Fernando Valley (laughs) and how they weren't looked upon the same way. I was like, I never knew that part. Um, But you're absolutely right. Because when you're children, you don't pay attention. There was gangs around me and, and Panorama. And I, you know, I didn't think much of it. Now we did grow up differently because my dad was home um, so he, he definitely put the hammer down in regards to that and that makes a big difference
0: oh, but it
1: seems it seems like you almost matured a little too early too because you saw a lot of things in your book when you were really young and I think even before 10 yeah. um, you saw things because people you made a comment a minute ago where you said how different things were back then we used to play outside a lot and people didn't worry so much of being children being kidnapped and yet you did see some of that at a very early age if i remember
0: yeah i, I um I, I got to uh, witness two kidnappings uh one was a little boy a little hispanic boy uh, on my way to school and another one was a pure korean girl and uh, uh there were i, I want to say i'm not sure but I, it must have been months apart or maybe a year apart uh but uh yeah i mean i witnessed it right in front of my face and you know, th- those kind of things um, uh, leave leave you, uh, it leaves a mark in, in your memory bank of uh, how the world isn't so pleasant to be in. Uh, and, and there's people that are just flat out evil and uh, will do anything um, to the point of even, you know, kidnapping children. And I saw that. I saw that. I also saw in the book I share, you uh, you know, witnessing a triple murder, uh, right. and I was about eight years old around that time. Uh, so, you know, you ask the average kid, you know, what their memory looks like. You know, growing up, let's say in Burbank. Uh, well, they're they're not gonna. Those aren't the memories that they're gonna capture. Um, you know, it's a suburb. It's it's it's, it's different. Uh, but yeah, those are the things that I, that that I think. Um, could start to mold a different outlook of life um, as you grow on And yeah, you know, when you're living in that kind of environment, you tend to grow up a lot faster than the average kid. Um, uh, the streets start to uh, become your teacher really fast.
1: That's a great point. And the, the sad thing I remember reading in your book that at the young age of eight or nine, we don't understand the world at that age and you weren't even able to discuss this with your dad. I think you felt like he wouldn't care. Um, your mom wouldn't. Um, so you really didn't get the guidance of an adult to say, let me explain what's going on. There's evil people out there, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't even there for you, if I'm right. Uh,
0: there wasn't, you know. Uh, you know uh, I have a, a 12-year-old boy now, um, and uh, I'm an open book with him. Uh, he can talk to me about anything. You know, I got two older daughters as well, but, and, and I've been able to, uh, you know, not having a dad has, I don't want to say has helped me because I think that's so important to have a dad uh, in the a, in, in a family unit. Uh, but I think that as an adult now, I, you know, I, I, I know that it was important for me to open up to my kids very early on and n- have them know and understand that they can approach me about anything in life. And, uh, you know, back then, you know, a lot of uh, parents didn't talk about certain things. Certainly, sex was out of the way, you know. It, you, you just, it was like a taboo and it wasn't even discussed in the family unit. I you know, that, even that was learned uh, on a street uh, base. Uh, it, it, the, my parents never talked to me about absolutely anything. That, about drugs. Uh, drugs. They didn't talk to me about, about drugs. One, because, well, my dad was already drug dealing. Um, and, and uh, you know, that, that was, <laughs> uh, they, they, what is he going to talk to me about? <laughs> uh, how to deal yeah. him? I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but that was in disgust. I, I ended up learning that he was drug dealing by just snooping around the apartment that we lived in and running across um, a stash of drugs that uh, he, well, he had copped and uh, was hiding them in, in a closet. And uh, then, you know, we, you hear the, 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 the discussions with my mom and him uh, going to jail and stuff like that uh, for that. Uh, back then, drug offenses were a slap on the wrist and you were out. You know, it wasn't what it is now. And even now, I mean, I think we're going backwards uh, uh, on that issue as well.
1: So oh, another story for another yeah, show. Exactly. Oh, boy. Um, You know, what's interesting. When I was reading your book, I was, uh, I kept going, wow, this guy's really self aware. Then, of course, I had to remember you wrote the book after everything happened. (laughs) But still the self awareness you had. I've seen a lot of individuals, this isn't to minimize your story whatsoever, but I've seen a lot of individuals who overcome challenges like yourself, but they usually have a mentor. And I didn't see that. And I don't know we're going to get to the part in prison, and we'll learn about that story too. But did you have a mentor early on in life, or at least anybody you looked up to, whether it was in TV, uh, whether it was an uncle, or anything at all, or no? Uh,
0: no, but but <clears throat> now looking as a, a as an adult and looking back, um, there was um, right before uh, we get into what I was uh, sentenced for in the hundred the yards, there was a lady uh, who to this day I've been looking for. And this is right up to where I commit uh, my, this crime that sent me in, uh, into uh, adult prison. Uh, this lady, her name was uh, Mrs. Es- Escalante. Just like the, 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 the guy version, she was the girl version of the guy on that movie Stand By Me. I mean, they had the same last name. And her name was uh, uh, Janet Escalante. I've been looking for her all this time because she was the first person and i wasn't paying attention to that back then but uh i was about what like 15 16 and uh, i was at what's called the metropolitan skill center it was a continuation school um for you know kids that were well uh, wayward and uh, i had just i remember i had just came out of a camp of a probation camp and this lady uh was uh, bent that I would graduate high school and that I would become somebody. And um, uh, there was a moment, I didn't talk about this on the book, but there was a moment that where she was actually going to my apartment on her off time and helping me with homework. This is, I never mentioned this. And actually, this is, this would be considered an exclusive uh, <laughs> part of the interview to you because I never shared this before. But she, she would, uh, uh, I remember her in a classroom, and this is a room filled with gang members. I mean, Ben's is a classroom, and about 20 of us, uh, 18 of us, are probably all gang members. And she says to the whole classroom, I remember this, I'll never forget this. She said, You know, uh, so Casey, you're going to graduate. You're going to graduate high school. I'm going to make sure that you graduate. And everybody, you know, we all laughed and, you know, mocked at that statement. And uh, she went uh, out of her way and helped me to, uh, to, to um, well, finish high school. Um, she would come after school, you know, help me with homework. And then she had her, a, a best friend that was a deputy sheriff for Los Angeles. Hmm. And uh, she asked me when, when, one day, she says, uh, you know, I want you to talk to her. She wants to talk to you. And, 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 and I, I looked at her and I said, well, for what? And she says, well, she just wants to talk. You give her a chance. And I remember they came over on a Saturday. They didn't tell nobody. They came to my apartment. Uh, I agreed to the meeting. And uh, she was willing to help me uh, after graduation uh, and mentor me going into the Sheriff's uh, Academy and all the yards. And, of course, well, you know, the book doesn't tell you that. But
1: yeah, those were Holy two people cow.
0: that came into my life right before um i messed up really bad
1: wow so you had something inside of you that they saw and that's the unique thing about it yeah it's it's interesting because again your story is fascinating to me because I saw that part, it threw me off in the book when I saw the part about you gra- you graduated high school and you got your, it was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then he goes into college and he continues to get more units in college. And I'm thinking, okay, this isn't, I'm missing a part here <laughs> that I'm not getting. It's like, how did you have that motivation to do that? Because it doesn't usually work that way. Usually they'll people drop out at 16, 17, they don't go to high school, definitely not going to go to college and they stay with the gang life. But you seem like to almost have one foot here and one foot there. Like you almost weren't completely 100% committed to your, your gang life. Am I wrong or?
0: Uh, no, you know what, uh, this, this, this teacher um, came out of nowhere. Um, I wasn't expecting uh, some uh, adult. And you know, of, of course, when you're a kid and, and you're involved in that type of, you know, culture as the gang culture, uh, you're not thinking straight. You're not thinking, uh, you know, the value. You're not seeing the value of an adult actually seeing something inside of you that you don't see and you know because all, all all I all I've ever heard was you know uh, negative uh things said about me by my own father and and uh, other relatives and stuff like that so to me you know this was strange and, and I didn't see what she saw uh and uh you know I ended up uh getting on my my credits uh a, a whole lot earlier than than I should have um, I didn't walk the stage because I ended up getting arrested uh, right before. So I got—I was able to take the graduation pictures, um, and but didn't make it to the graduation because of uh, my arrest.
1: Now why did you go to college?
0: Uh, inside, uh, while I was inside.
1: Oh, that's right. While well, you were inside, you went to college. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I remember reading about your dad. You know, I don't remember this part of the book. Uh, I'm getting older, folks. Uh, do you have <laughs> siblings?
0: I have one. We're 11 years apart. Uh, I have a brother. Yeah. And, and I don't mention him in the book at all.
1: Yeah. Is he older or younger? Uh, he's younger. Okay. And yeah, the, the reason I ask is sometimes that could be a mentor as well, but he's too young. Yeah. Um, and one thing I always like to make sure people realize no matter how many years apart you are, you don't usually have the same parents. <laughs> Once parents have a second kid, things start changing. Yeah, And shoot, even as years go by, parents change themselves, they're human beings.
0: Yeah. So
1: 11 years is a lot. That's
0: a, that's, a, that's a big difference. That's a big gap.
1: It's a big gap, yeah, because your dad would have been a lot older by that time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do this. Um, I know you have, you have a lot of uh, criminal activity, <laughs> so we won't go through all of that, but maybe we'll kind of speed through a little bit of it. Uh, what was the very first crime you committed? If I can ask him, what did you think about and then maybe we'll start heading into the more serious crimes later.
0: Um, I, I think the well, the first ones, uh, I talk about uh, my childhood friend, Jason. Uh, uh, his name is Miguel. I believe we changed it. And I had a reunion with Jason uh, recently. Uh, oh. and uh, Yeah. So I got to find him through Facebook and uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, we talked, we, we had lunch and stuff. So me and him, uh, we had sticky fingers, man, uh, uh, and we started stealing from 7-Eleven. Uh, you know, uh, just candy bars and stuff like that. Uh, I remember putting we, – we, we would walk into 7-Eleven with Slurpees, and we'd go to the candy aisle and open up the Slurpee. Uh, and, uh, w- well, we would throw candies in there, Snickers, M&Ms, and all that stuff, and then we would go to the Slurpee uh, station and fill it up. Uh, well, you know, wow. we'd have a cup full of all kinds of goodies – and back then they gave you a big old Slurpee cup. So a lot a lot fit in there and we'd fill it in and then go in there and put the Slurpee over it and walk out laughing because we just, you know, stole, you know, 10 bucks worth of candies or whatever it was. Uh, but those are, those are the first ones. Um, eventually up, the, uh, better, right? in the car and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it starts very with, with very small items. Uh, and uh, you develop a, uh, it, it, it's almost like, a, it, it's intriguing. It, it, it the, the, sneakiness and all that starts to, uh, I don't know, it does something to your brain that you, you start to go, okay, well, God, I got away with that. What else can I get away with? And, and I think that, you know, you, I might not have said that, but I think that that's where your heart goes or your mind goes that if I can get away with this, what else can I get away with? Um, you know, the, I, I was stealing money from my mom's uh, purse or little pocketbook, um, you know, a couple of dollars here and there that, you know, and then, you know, you cross, I think you start crossing lines that you didn't think uh, uh, you would ever cross you know, or it did, just didn't matter to you. Uh, for me, it didn't matter. It just, you know, what else can I get? Uh, so candy was the, the, the first thing that was on the menu f- as far as crime. On uh, the menu. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this. So, I, I mean, my background, that's what I study, is criminal behavior. So I, I, I have an interesting question for you. Psychologically, I can see that, definitely. I can see the intoxication that can come from stealing and the high of it. Um, did it also provide you, and this might sound weird, but did it provide you with a level of something I can do successfully? Something that can boost your self-esteem? Since your dad did always kind of tear you down, And here you are stealing, not your mom's purse, that's independent of that, but stealing from stores and then graduating to bigger items. Did you feel like I'm accomplishing something or no?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because, you know, um, then you start seeing your other friends and they're doing about the same thing that you're doing. And each one, I think each one of us was trying to outdo the, the next person. So you, you know, so, well, you stole that or you broke into that house. Or I'm going to go and steal a car, and you know, and 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 so I learned how to steal a car very early on. Um, uh, so so I, I never did a burglary. Uh, I, for some reason, uh, I, I I just uh, I had a disdain for that. Uh, I, I didn't. I had no problem being sneaky in, in other things in public, but I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see it like a cool thing to do to break into somebody's house. So, so I never did a burglary. Um, but you know, uh, and, but then, then I didn't, I didn't see a problem with sticking, uh, you know, a knife or a screwdriver or a gun on somebody's face and then, and then taking their stuff. I, for some reason, that was like, that was justifiable to me, uh, at that time. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it. you could see it looking back as an adult now. I could see the, the the gradual effect that it kept having because you do feel like, well, now I did this and and, and now I've graduated. You know, I, I remember one time we stole so many cars that we had them all par- uh, parked along the street that we lived in. And I think I, I think we had I stole, I don't know, maybe 14 cars or something like that.
1: Holy cow. Uh,
0: and they were all Toyota Corollas. And, and we would laugh because I had parked them all, I mean, all in the line. All he, all he, if, you were, if, if you were paying attention, you'd see, you know, 13, 14 Toyota Corollas all in line, <laughs> wrapping around the corner. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, then the next guy wants to do, you know, a 15 Toyota Corolla <laughs> to up his game, you know, that kind of So, yeah, you you see the pattern that uh, you, you've – it's almost like – a false sense of success that 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 is created within your own you know <laughs> uh way of thinking i guess
1: yeah it's fascinating to, to hear it is exactly right it's a competition between you guys and, and you finding somewhat of an identity in something you're good at um, i hate to frame it that way but that's what it is i mean 15 no. cars you're obviously not a chump in stealing cars it's a lot of cars um I want to fast forward a little bit because then you get into a really powerful part of the book too, which was the first time you, you ended up stabbing somebody. And I think the distinction there, you kind of highlighted it in your book a little bit when you mentioned this was an opposing gang member. You know, and I can kind of see the difference there between a burglary, where a burglary is an innocent victim, you have no idea who this is, and you're, you're taking something away from them, and they have no reason really for that. Um, now how that's different from a car I don't know, <laughs> maybe it's a car insurance thing. I don't know, um, it's, it's funny, you know, people can do whatever they, they can with <laughs> rationalizing things away, Yeah. but what did you, I don't know if you want to share that part again, I know it's in your book, uh, The Shot collar, Folks is the name of the book by Casey Diaz. Um, that was a pretty powerful moment in your life. Did it scare you at all that you could even do that?
0: Um, uh, I think at first it, it, it um, you know, when, when it's happening, Because it's not like it was planned Um, in a sense of, you know, it didn't take weeks to plan this. It was one of those, we were there, um, and uh, this older gang member uh, has a Toyota. I remember it was a Toyota. um, It it was one of those first, I guess you would call it a a, a, a SUV type of car from back in the days. And um, it it was like, it had a hat, like like a hatchback, I guess.
1: Was it a
0: station uh, wagon? Kind of, but it was a modern version of, of the old '70s-looking one. This is the '80s version of it. I mean, I see a picture. I still remember it. Uh, it was a gold one. Uh, I remember the stripes on the side. I still remember it very vividly. Uh, but he, had, he, he 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 came to the neighborhood in that stolen car and uh, grabbed me, and you know, he said, "Hey, come on, you know, come with me." And, and I got in the car, and and to me, it was like, it was the adrenaline, man. Uh, you know, here it is. Uh, I, I'm way younger. I'm the youngest guy in this gang at this moment. And this guy that everybody looks at or looks up to is favoring me and telling me, hey, come, come with me. And we got into this car, and I remember him driving down the alleys, man. And he was gunning it. I mean, I, I, I think the... If I was afraid of anything, it was afraid of we're gonna die in this car because he's just there's he's not even stopping between alleys, you know. Oh. So he's just going, man. He's just going, and we're you know from alley to alley. There's the, the the little ramps, you know, that they become ramps because at that speed, you're yeah. getting some air. And uh, so we went through alleys, and we're you know he's laughing, and I'm nervous laughing. You know, you don't want to look like a little punk either, so. You know there was a nervous laugh from me i know that uh i don't know if he smelled that or or he took notice of that but it was a nervous laugh i mean and it was just uh having to do with we're gonna crash <laughs> and uh and then he he kind of slows it down and he says yeah we're gonna go looking for so-and-so and um and we're gonna have some, handle some business and we found uh the guy that he was looking for and a fight ensued and the next thing i know uh he, he's uh he's stabbing this guy and uh then well, while he's doing that and he's overpowering them uh, he's already on the floor and he's been stabbed quite a bit uh he just hands me the, the screwdriver and your turn and th- there's not a um it's not like you could <laughs> there's no pause button to, to 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 tap at that moment and say hey can we talk about this over you know <laughs> over some lunch uh, there, that just doesn't happen you're you're either going to say yes or no and it's better for you to say yes than to say no and uh he handed it to me and and that was uh you know i was 11 years old um and um uh, it was my first stabbing No, i know go ahead it, it, it's um even to this day you know you, you you um there's sometimes when i talk about certain incidents that the crimes that i committed uh, that turned my stomach, uh, you know, as, as a believer, uh, it has an effect on me because, yeah, yeah it was a gang member, but it's, it was also a human being that, that, that we hurt uh, very bad. Uh, but, you know, I was 11 years old when, when my first, uh, you know, quote, unquote, my first serious crime took place uh, where someone got uh, violently uh, stabbed.
1: And I'll bring up another question I have for you later. I think during the time when you, when you met God, we'll talk a little bit about that because I think um, I don't think people sometimes realize what they're capable of. And we all have a dark side inside of us, right? And um, being able to control that is a very different type of a ball game. Have you ever looked back and wondered why he chose you at 11 years of age or whatever it was at the time?
0: I've asked my question, uh, that question, uh, to myself. I, I don't know, thousands of times. You know, why is it that um, that he picked me? Uh, why is it that uh, that that he? I, I hate to call it favored, but I guess that's what the word that you could actually use. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why he, he he selected me out of a bunch and said, "Hey, you, you know, you're going to roll with me." And, and just because I was, you know, you know, his little road dog there, um, the respect of the rest of the gang uh, um, really it, it affected me very early because, wow, why does you know why does Rabbit hang out with, with this little dude? You know? And that influence uh, came upon me where the rest of the gang members uh, saw me different, and, and I could see that. I could see that there was. This almost like this idolization that, that took place uh, just because I was hanging out with him and just because he handpicked me to, you know, and I think it has a lot to do with, you know, uh, validation, right? I, I think many kids, you know, the, I, I mean, there's adults that, that are looking to get validated and they do, uh, they get into the, the wrong things just because they want to get validated by, you know, a community or a group or a club and, and all this uh, this stuff. So for me, uh, uh, that validation coming from him, you know, from an older gang member. And it was, he wasn't all that much older neither. When I look at it now, he, you know, he's about five uh, years older than me, some, something like that. Um, so not much older, but, you know, this guy's already committing, you know, some serious crimes himself to where he has that title and everybody respects this guy. Yeah, you didn't cross him. Uh, because he had no, no, he had no breaks. He, and you know, you become whoever you end up hanging out with, that's what you become. I mean, that's just in in naturally in life. I think, you know, you you hang out with, with with that kind of person, you mimic that kind of activity. And uh, you know, unfortunately for me, uh, that, that, that was what, what it did to me is, is I just, copied what he did and uh and, and then I started liking the fear that were that was in the eyes of other gang members and then of course um you know the the, the pat on the back uh from them uh you know and uh, it, it, it's horrible but that is what it what it did in, in my personal life
1: I know when I studied gang life and you correct me if I'm wrong here a lot of times, your your gang has become your surrogate family. Well, yeah. yeah. And these elders are your surrogate dads. A lot of times, I mean, okay. Okay.
0: you're looking at you're you. They replace your father figure in your life. They they become that. Um, uh, uh, you know, you might not see it at the moment, but that is what they become. Is that is your 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 father, your street father, I guess. And um, you know, you, you respond to them and, and you respect them. And what they tell you to do, you do it. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a very um, dark place to be in. And as a child, you just don't see the harm that is ahead of you when you're partaking of these activities.
1: Yeah, and I remember and they know what they're doing. The recruiters oh, yeah. the recruiters know what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the that's tragic thing. And it's funny because you have a recurring theme and um, the recurring theme is, Whoever side it's on kept seeing something in you. (laughs) If it wasn't this uh, rabbit, I think was his name.
0: Yeah.
1: Whatever the name you gave him rabbit. Um, And then Escalante, um, the person in the the prison, the person outside the prison, the INS agent, I think it was, you always had somebody that kept seeing something in you. And it was really really amazing. When I kept reading the book, I was like, he's got something, (laughs) he's got (laughs) something to keep picking up on and I don't know what it is. Um, that's what I was really excited about doing the interview today because I was wanted to keep probing that and trying to find out what is that something. That's why I keep wondering. I can't see Casey being that completely committed to that world. It, 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 he liked what he liked from it, but I don't know. It just always seemed like something was else was going on. So at that point, again, folks, we're only going to touch the tip of the iceberg. It's not Casey. will be here like for five hours. But you, you left that part, you did some other crimes, and then we got to, we'll get to the most serious crimes. I know you, you had quite a bit of an adventure <laughs> in the different jails and prisons, but what was the crime that eventually ended your time in freedom here?
0: Uh, it was a second degree murder. Um, so at 16, uh, I'm in this uh, little hole in the wall in Los Angeles um, and uh, I have a stolen car. I'm in a burger joint, and um, I get recognized by uh, a rival gang who walks into this little hole in the wall. A fight ensues, and um, I ran outside, and uh, I didn't have anything on me at this moment. And this is the time where, you know, back in the days, you you were able to, uh, there was no seat belt belt laws. Uh, You could ride in back of your pickup truck, and a lot of, uh, you know, if you went to, like, let's say Hollywood, on on friday nights or saturday nights you saw pickup trucks and load uh you know teenagers gang members uh you name it on the back of the the bed of the truck and there was no law you you could you could do that uh uh, back then and so this truck was filled with gang members uh from this gang a rival gang and um you know they came in they recognized me and uh i was able to uh go to the car that I was uh, in and uh, the, the guy that was chasing me, running back of me is the guy that uh, ends up losing his life.
1: And then you were, eventually you were arrested. I think they had to find you. It took a little bit of time
0: before they caught you.
1: What were you thinking? Was that the very first time, I can't remember, was that the very first time you went to jail?
0: No, no you went I, to jail at all yeah i had been uh in juvenile hall since the age of uh, eleven that's
1: right that's right yeah so to the I've, first I've been time been you got used to it or something like that if i remember yeah i, I
0: had been through probation camps uh every juvenile hall uh, that, so it wasn't my my first visit uh, at all i was used to that i don't think there was literally not one year where I didn't do a year from eleven years old i was always in the in and out so i'd do a year here or Seven months here, I get out for about two days, and went back in, did another year. So, you know, there was a lot of a a lot of spent time in inside juvenile halls uh, prior to that incident.
1: You made an interesting comment because I know in the world of criminal criminology, there's the concept of deterrence theory, right? So, if you put you in the prison or threaten to put you in the prison, that's going to deter people from committing crimes. Obviously, we know it doesn't completely work. Um, but you made an interesting comment that people sometimes have talked to me about in regards to gangs. Um, You went to jail once and you went to jail twice, and then you said, I don't care anymore. I've already been there, done that. It's not that big of a deal. That was a comment that I've heard before in the past. Was that pretty accurate?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, uh, it it became, you know, even, you know, I interview uh, on the podcast, uh, on my podcast, I I interview uh, guys that did time with me and ju- oh, wow. are just now getting. Out. And uh, you know, it, 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 we all had we all have this one thing in common is that prior to changing our lifestyles and, and uh, you know, separating our, ourselves from again culture eventually, it was all fun and games. I mean, we didn't see it as as something dangerous. We just saw it as something exciting. So going into juvenile halls, going into the California Youth Authority and or or a probation camp that was like a little gladiator school that you know here we go let's rock and roll and and and, uh fighting and getting your name uh uh, getting recognized in there you know uh that was i mean it it was just fun and games to us we didn't i I, asking that question to everyone that has done time with me uh, as adults now you know uh, i just didn't read a, a buddy of mine that did 28 years and 15 of those years were in, in solitary confinement. And oh, wow. the, same re- the same response was, you know, it was fun. I mean, we we literally were having fun at what we were doing while we were in these uh, detention centers. And so going in there, um, it, it just, it, it didn't matter. Uh, it, it, you know, court was a joke and and, uh, and so was jail. Uh, it, there was, we were living a carefree life of, the consequences we, we I don't think we ever cared about you know where we got six days or six years it just didn't matter
1: now folks again like I said we're, we're just I'm skipping around a lot because there's just a lot of material in the book and you definitely you should definitely read that it. it's a fascinating story Casey then we'll jump into I,
0: I lost your audio Sorry about that, folks. My audience
1: is playing games with me. So at one point you were going into, when you went into, after the second degree murder, um, you ended up moving up again pretty quickly in the ranks in a way, because you were made shot caller because the, the previous one, I think either left or I can't remember exactly what happened to him. Um, and that kind of caught you off guard too. You really didn't know, why am I being <laughs> chosen for shot caller?
0: Can you yes. tell us why and what, what does it mean to be a shot caller anyway? Um, and and for some reason, man, I, I just it it was almost like I was a magnet for some kind of role of leadership in every institution that I went to. Um, I, you know, looking back now as an adult, and what we could talk about that later on, but uh, I think you're designed uh, by God to do specific things and. And I, I, I'm 100% certain that there was leadership inside of me uh, all along. But because I didn't have the right mentorship and the right leadership uh, you know, hovering over me, well, anything that you don't know how to use, you're going to misuse. And uh, for me, it was that. I, I think the, the, you know, because it, it, it certainly wasn't a coincidence, it wasn't, you know, it, it, it might have looked like that, but um, I just found myself in, in these leadership positions, whether it was in, in a probation camp or in juvenile halls. And then here, uh, you know, after I get, uh, well, while I'm on trial, actually, I'm in, in Wayside uh, in the Angeles County Jail in, uh, by Magic Mountain here. And, and uh, I get approached by, you know, some other leaders there. And the next thing I know, I'm the one that holds every shank uh, and responsible for any activity that goes on in, in, on my block. Uh, and so, you know, for for those of you that don't know how the uh, Los Angeles County Jail um, is framed, this is one of the largest county jails in the United States, and it holds some of the most violent men. Uh, in these, in in these, in these jails. So for me to be, you know, 18-ish and getting that kind of power and control over other people that are in there for, some of them are in there for similar crimes, but then you're selected as the guy that's going to, you know, sign off on some pretty important things. Uh, That's, you know, it, 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 (laughs) And again, you're in that position, and it's not like you're gonna go, "Hey guys, you know, maybe that's not a good thing for me to do right now. Let's revisit that." You know, three months from now, you don't have that uh, that you know convenience to do that. You, you you're presented the option, and 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 it's pretty much a handed. And it's not something when you you ask them, "What's a shot caller? What does that involve?" It's something that you really don't want when you're in there. To be honest with you, uh, you know, um, it, it, it's a it's a um, it's an environment that is only made for certain people. I, I, there's many people that just they're not made for that kind of environment, that kind of violence, because it's very vicious. It's very, uh, you know, I like to compare it, you know, it's like a pit bull uh, getting a hold of you know a little chihuahua, and, and that chihuahua is not going to make it. I mean, not in the jaws of that pit bull. It's just it just won't and you had guys that, you know, in any type of criminal, uh, I don't care what it is, whether it's organized crime or just gangs in itself, somebody is always wanting that position and it's in it. And they want it foolishly, not knowing that you really don't want that type of title upon your head because you're a moving target. Somebody wants that position. Somebody is willing to, you know, stab you on the back for that. And, um, you know, does it come with um, perks? I guess you could call them that, uh, you know, it, it, there's a, a sense of uh, very high respect. And I don't wanna even call it respect. It's, it's more of a fear than anything else. And as an individual, you know, as an 18 year old and you're giving that kind of uh, power, it, it can be very dangerous because one one decision from you can cost you your life, your, your own life, or, the life of others around you just because well you signed off on, uh, on, on whether it's a hit or uh, what we called hard candy uh, which is you know assigning a group of uh, other convicts in there to beat someone almost to the point of death so the, the, there's a lot of uh, uh, I think a lot of it, too much power in the hands of someone that young but
1: No, I can imagine people don't. That's a lot of responsibility, and it's a very dangerous responsibility because everybody's hunting for you to get that power roll if they where they want it. Um. Now I know in in the prison time you spent with the shock collar. Now was that a Pitches? I can't remember what facility. Yeah, uh,
0: it's called Pitches, but we call it Wayside. Wayside Pitches Detention Center.
1: And then from there, you were transferred. You were transferred a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but you were transferred over to uh, I think it was Folsom,
0: uh, New Folsom. New
1: Folsom, that's right. It was right when it changed, right? Uh,
0: yeah. So the the old Folsom uh, from all the famous movies, Johnny Cash and all that. That uh, that's uh, uh, now uh, when I went in there, it was already a, uh, a low level yard, so it was a one and two, so it was low low minimum security, and then but it's on the same road on Prison Road. Uh, if you go up the hill from the old Folsom then you'll come up with uh, what's called Sacramento uh, State Prison. But the inmates call it New Folsom because it's on the same road.
1: Okay. Um, I'm having a little bit of technical difficulties, folks. I'm not sure if I'm actually always responding. Um, Let's see. So you went there. And then that was, I think this is where it ends for you in the sense of what you were saying earlier with your friend, where going in was fun. Uh, I think the shot collar roll probably also didn't make it as much fun. <laughs> but I'm assuming when you went to Folsom, that seemed like it wasn't fun at all.
0: Uh, yeah, well, you, know, um, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, like I said, uh, I, I interviewed quite a bit of uh, some, some very uh, big heavy hitters on, on my podcast. And, and uh, we all share the same uh, um, response. It, 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 you know, we didn't, we didn't show it. Uh, going into these prisons that young, but every one of us said, you know, we messed up. As soon as you see that gate, man, you see those walls, and you see the gunners, and you see the seriousness of, of, a, of a level four-yard prison, which is the highest level of security in the state of California, uh, something in the back of your mind goes, I screwed up, you know. Uh, I didn't use those words, but inside of you go you, you screwed up now you know this is now the big leagues this is uh this is where it, you know and then you get that little pep talk from uh, the warden and uh, ask you about that and, and that and you hear those words and you go yeah uh, it's time to rock and roll and, uh, this is where uh, you got to man up uh, really quick uh, for me uh, i was escorted uh, straight to an interview room and then to what's called uh, a segregated housing unit uh, of the prison. so solitary confinement uh, because of my points and the level of danger that I uh, uh, could pose upon a uh, uh, you know general population.
1: they grew really high. Uh,
0: yeah yeah so they they, they weren't going to take any chance with uh, someone with a jacket like mine uh, and then putting me on mainline. They had to put me in, in solitary confinement right off the bat.
1: So it sounds like you almost, when the warden gave you that speech, you didn't think it was a bunch of hot air. It sounds like you, th- you really thought uh, crap.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, you know, you're hearing him say, uh, some of you are gonna die because you have life sentences in this prison yard. And some of you are gonna die because you're just stupid. You know, you hear those words and you go, yeah, all right, um, here we go. You know, uh, this, is, uh, this is the real deal. And you know, places like New Folsom State Prison, Pelican Bay, and the Corcoran Shoe at that time, uh, those were your Ivy League uh, prisons. You know, those are the ones where that housed uh, organized crime members uh, and leaders. And uh, you 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 made sure that you walked the thin line, and and uh, whatever needed to be done, you were going to partake of that. Period. You had no choice at that point. That, you know. This is a uh, uh, this is real now. This is very real, um, you know. And, and even and I I go to these speaking engagements, man, uh, and educate the public in, in schools and uh, whether it's public schools. I go to uh, universities. I do a lot of speaking engagements with law enforcement uh, and churches, and, and I try to let them know uh, that just because you you have somebody locked up in an eight by ten cell. Uh, you would be surprised at the level of crime that takes place from an isolated shoe cell. Um, there's moves that are, that, are, uh, that are being made in solitary confinement that, well, uh, millions of dollars are you know being uh, shuffled here and there and, and people are getting killed by someone's uh, signature in a solitary confinement cell. So these are real things that happen, and uh, it's just a different world, man. You gotta be made for that.
1: Yeah, people don't, um, no knock on them, I guess. It's, it's people don't understand. I don't, it was when I've talked to people or students in the past, and they, well, they're, they're gonna be drug-free in there. <laughs> nah, no. <laughs> not necessarily, <laughs> probably not. No. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I, mean, I guess I'm assuming the million dollar things you're talking about, probably cell phones that get in there and COs that sometimes get bought out or threatened in some capacity.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was in there, there was no cell phones, but, um, you know, we, we were um, moving a large quantity of a lot of things. Um, oh, still. Know, uh, oh, yeah, it was. And we were using the, uh, the, the um, CEO um, <laughs> mailing room to do that. Uh, you know so you, you know this stuff that you know the public doesn't know that but we were using the staff mailroom to both bring things in and ship things out um you know in, in well I'll, I'll share maybe some of it with, with you on this interview if we get to that portion of it but uh you know the public needs to know that people that are housed in in segregated housing uh, units it's for a reason and it's it's for the safety of other inmates because you're not in in solitary confinement for being a good inmate you're in there because you are deemed a threat to other inmates and to staff that's that's the reason that you're in there that you're you're not some you know huh, someone that could be trusted with with something sharp or something, you know. It, it just—it's a whole different uh, type of ordeal that, that that is housed in in these cell confinement blocks.
1: It's Interesting, you mentioned that because I know when I was I was talking to a, a Green Beret before you. Uh, I do another podcast on um, Special Forces, and one of my goals for all my podcasts is to to try to bring out the truth, the reality. Because we have a lot of people who advocate for things, you know, God bless them, but they don't know anything about the world are advocating. <laughs> and when you have people who are attacking shoe and I get their points on some in some arguments they don't hear stuff like that. You know, they are, you just look at the other side it's inhumane and all this other stuff. And sometimes you can po- tell me if I'm wrong, but sometimes people who are put in the shoe it isn't because they're a threat to everybody else, it's because if they were put in the shoe they'd be killed. Yeah. Because they're going to be a target, right? Was that possible too?
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and and people don't know that. Even in the shoe, you could, something could go wrong. Uh, um, and many people have lost their life in solitary confinement. You might say, well, the public might say, well, how, how does that happen? Aren't they supposed to be, you know, behind uh, doors all the time? Things happen. Uh, and when somebody wants something to happen, they can make that happen without no problem. And you're right, um, you know, I, I, I go to, uh, when I go and, and speak with uh, law enforcement and and we go into schools. Uh, I was at a speaking engagement with um, the uh, former ICE director uh, Tom Holman. Oh, yeah. and, uh, we were talking about you know the, the crime that happens at the border with uh, uh, cartels and uh, organized crime and all that. And, and those big moves that are happening, don't think that that they're happening just from the people, the organized crime that goes on on the outside. A lot of it has to do from someone that is sitting inside of a solitary cell that says, hey, we're, you know, it, we were brokers. We were apex predators. That's that's who's housed in these shoe units. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's a real world and it's a dark world that a lot of the public, they have no clue, uh, you know, and like we said, bless their hearts. They have no clue uh, of the amount of danger that um, uh, these inmates uh Put a, they could put a hurting on a lot of people uh, very easily.
1: It's interesting, Casey, because I know when I talk to intel guys in the CIA and whatnot, and then I look at the news and I look at other groups, and I'm looking going, you only have about 40% of the information. And I don't even get it at all because I don't have that kind of top security clearance. And some of my guy friends who are in there in the CIA or the FBI they don't. Some of them don't have it. Some of them do have it. And the ones who do just tell me, Carlos, you don't even know half of it. So I look at this going it's the same thing with your world, right, or your former world. Um, people would talk about things that they really don't even know half about, or they get one or two people who, yeah, I just want somebody to visit me, so I'm going to tell them a bunch of stories, <laughs> yeah. whatever fits their their narrative and. Now, you make a great point on that. It's, it's complicated. and Maybe we'll get into it a little bit later on how the outside world meshes with the inside world of the prison because yeah. there's definitely an open communication line there. Yeah. But I want to go back to you now. We're going to get into the, the moments of, of big moments for you. You were in Shoe. I remember in the book, you didn't like it. <laughs> you weren't happy at all. Uh, there are points where you seem to start really, you weren't losing it. But you could tell that your your anxiety started going up when I was reading your book. You started noticing other people having problems with it. I think it was another gang member in there. You mentioned that really was having a hard time with it because he was trying to smear stuff on his body, uh, feces, whatnot. Um, so you started seeing that. But your anxiety really started picking up quite a bit, if I remember correctly.
0: Um, well, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, something starts to happen when, when you're in a... Uh, the, wall, the, the walls definitely start, you know, getting, uh, becoming alive. Uh, it, it seems like it becomes smaller and smaller. And if you don't have a, a strong will and mind, um, it'll take the best of them. Um, you know, I, I share about this uh, in a lot of places where I go talk. Um, you know, I don't care how big you are. Uh, I don't care how tough you think you are. I've seen, you know, men that have 18, 19-inch arms, uh, you know, drinking their own urine uh, and losing their mind. I mean, you know, talking to themselves and and standing on a wall on the corner of their cell uh, uh, just talking to a wall, uh, and they've lost it. So something happens, you know, uh, in your brain, I think, that that you, you, and there's only, you know, there's only eight sales in the top, eight sales in the bottom. You can hear everything that, that goes on. And, and so when somebody loses it, we're all listening to someone lose it. When somebody's trying to commit suicide, we all listen to, you know, uh that 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 man, that grown man that once led a gang, uh and you know <laughs> worked out with everybody, and and the next thing you know, you could hear them running from the back of their cell to prison metal, trying to break their nets, trying to escape, you know, just trying to end it because they just can't handle the the solitude in there. And uh, I I don't know about anxious. I I think it was more like, you know, it, it it affects you some way or another. uh, I would say that, Um, you know, seeing the, the guy next door to me, uh, you know, uh, hallucinate and think that he has ducks in his cell. Uh, that, that'll, you know, you're, he's right next door to you. So you're hearing all his activity. You know, he, he's talking to what he thinks is ducks. And uh, so th- that definitely uh, it's not you like wonder, he, uh,
1: what's that? Did you start wondering am I hearing somebody talking about ducks or am I starting to hear things that I'm not hearing?
0: No, you know what? Uh, because we had conversations the, when I got in there uh, he had been there for 10 years already. He, had, he already had a decade in there in solitary confinement. And you got to remember that back, back then, they can give you an indefinite sur- uh, uh, shoe sentence, which meant if you had a life sentence in there, you had a life sentence in the shoe if they, if they wanted to. They left people in there for 20 years, you know, 30 years in there. So that's a long time in a single man cell. And uh, again, back then, it wasn't two men cells. It was one single man cell. Uh, uh, the whole shoe was so that's a lot of time man that's that's a lot of time and and when I got in there uh he was still in his right mind uh you know we, we had conversations we talked about you know family uh, here and there uh, you know we we knew what to talk about and what not to talk about uh, that's another another thing uh, but we we kept it very uh you know we we were sociable with each other to a certain degree um but then you know, from one day to the other, uh, this guy, you know, and I thought he was playing around. I thought, you know, and, and what caught me off guard was you just don't, there's no joking around in, 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 in an environment like that. Nobody, there's, there's no goofing off. There's no, you, you stand guard at all moments. So for him, when, when, when I first hear him, you know, hallucinating, and I can hear him saying that he has ducks in his cell, I knew something had it, someone turned on, turned off the lights on, on in his brain, and he was done. Uh, and it was from one day to the. It was. It's like me talking to you right now, and tomorrow you're telling me, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, I got some ducks. You want? You want one?" Uh, and I would say to you, "What are you talking about? You know, it, it, it was just like that." So, yeah, yeah that, that's. Um, I, I think uh, the, the idea crossed my mind: Is that going to happen to me? Uh, I tried to stay away from that idea, uh, but yeah, you, you 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 definitely it's in your memory bank, and and you you're, you're thinking about you know this is this was a solid dude, and now uh, he's not. Uh, what do you do with that? You know,
1: man, tough stuff. Tough stuff. Again, folks, we're talking to Casey Diaz. The book is called The Shock Collar. Uh, mm-hmm. Casey, I guess we're moving on, and I hope I don't take too much of your time. It's just such a, a fascinating story. Um, I don't want to compare these two stories, but it's a, it's an interesting segue because all of a sudden, for you, you had a vision in the jail. Uh, I mean, the prison. There is a distinction, folks. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happened here?
0: Um, in this part. Um And usually I like leaving this part off to, to, to the readers. uh, Hmm, Sure. It's so detailed. And, you know, uh, there was a Baptist church that, that a prison ministry that would come on last Thursday of the month uh, for one, one visit. And they would go from cell to cell, you know, uh, and they only have like about, you know, four minutes, three minutes. uh, To talk to these inmates and invite them to kind of like a Bible study kind of thing. And, um, they would always come in through one way and exit out of a different one. My cell, it's hard to explain how my cell was positioned on, on, the last, uh, uh, on the last bit of it because it's the last cell and coming into the building, the, the cell door uh, that would lead to outside would slide and then there was still another gate in back of that. So if you're outside of that cell block, you could imagine a cell sliding a cell door sliding and then bars right behind that and another door so when when that when, when that door swang it swings open it hides the last cell so people are walking in there they have no clue that there's a cell behind there and when they leave they're leaving through another uh, another uh, exit or en- entrance so for uh, over a year and a half or so this prison ministry has no clue that they have just walked right past me and i'm not trying to grab their attention i don't know who they are i you know i'm not paying attention to any of that uh, i know that they're there but i'm not paying attention to it and um and it was in in this moment that uh one of those moments that a little lady by the name francis uh decides to ask a ceo a correction officer uh, if there was a cell uh, behind that that door, or behind the gate, and is there a man in there? And um, you know, the, the CO CEO says, "Yeah," but you, you don't want nothing to do with that. And she's so persistent that you know this back and forth happens. And uh, I didn't know that they were talking about me, you know, to to be exact, because there was no mention of it. You know, you can't see outside out of your out of your gate, so. Uh, the 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 second that I knew that they were talking about me is when he says, "Well, that's Diaz in there. And I'm the only Diaz on the block there. Uh, that's Diaz in there. Um, you go ahead and approach a cell, but I mean, it's letting you know you're wasting your time. And uh, you know, she approached my cell, and I could only see like her ankles, these you know, through a little crack on my tray uh, opening, um, and uh, you know, she, she asked me uh, 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 how I was doing. I sarcastically said, uh, "You know, couldn't be better." And I, I, I remember both of us. Uh, I had a little chuckle, and and she so did she. And she said, "Oh, that's a stupid question." I said, uh, "It's all good." So I gave her the respect, but I didn't want nothing to do with her her, her invitation, and her persistence, man, was was out of this world. You know. Um, She tells me, you know, I'm going to put you on my hit list. That's a very colorful word to use in there. And she says, you know, (laughs) I'm going to put you on my prayer hit list. And, you know, Jesus is going to use you. He loves you. He's going to use you. And uh, I I just, this is the first time of me hearing somebody say that. And uh, initially I'm thinking this lady has no clue who she's talking to and where she's at. Uh, I was very pompous and very prideful at the moment, and, uh, you know, you, just like any young person, you, you think you know it all and you figured out life and, and everything else. And, and in that environment, you know, you, you just don't care about religion or anything like that. I, You know, we never went to church growing up. I never got exposed to the gospel or anything like that. Uh, but in that cell, uh, uh, and she pursued, I mean, she came to that prison without skipping a beat the last Thursday of every month and uh, she would stop by and she would always before she left, she would always say I'm still praying for you and she called me by my first my first name my real, uh, my legal name birth name which is Darwin and uh, said you know, you know Jesus is going to use you she would always say that and uh, I had a moment in that cell in which uh, I saw um on my wall, uh, what looked like a movie being played on an old, um, you know, those movie reels, those old movie reels. And I started to see my whole life right in front of me being played from, you know, from as, uh, as a kid and the first things that I ever did. We discussed this about earlier in this interview, you know, what was the first crime that you did? Uh, you know, well, it's the 7-Eleven thing that I could, as far back as I can remember, I think the 7-Eleven was the first time I actually tasted, you know, you know, crime as far as, you know, stealing something uh, and knowing that I'm stealing something. Uh, so I see incidents that only I knew that had taken place in my life early being played. And the first thing that I thought was, that's it. You know, uh, the dude next door has ducks. And now I'm watching a movie here that's it for me. I, that's my my initial thought was, I'm done. You know that this is can't be real. This is this is not happening. Uh, but I, I, I start seeing this guy on a cross, uh, carrying a cross. Uh, sorry, carrying a cross, and uh, and then you know people screaming at him, yelling at him. I knew that whoever was carrying this cross, no one liked him. And I get to see the whole staging, man. That I know now it's the gospel. Uh and then it would it would shut down and I would see it would go back to my life, and, and it was very in order. There was nothing out of order. It, it was exactly how these things took place. And then I, and I would see uh, you know, my first stabbings, uh, other things that I, you know, unfortunately did, other crimes, and and it was all in order, and then it would go back to this man with carrying this cross and I got to see the, him being nailed to the cross and cross phrasing And uh, and then something really um, powerful happened. You know, all this stuff, watching all this stuff, I didn't pay attention to uh, as, as close enough as, as I should have, I think. But we come to this pivotal moment in, in what happened in that cell. And, you know, when I was around eight years old, I always hated my, my, my birthday, you know, you're in LA, you know, you're being raised in LA. Darwin is not uh, a cool name. You know, uh, everybody else is Jose, you know, Jason, Carlos, and you know, then then there's you and you're Darwin. Nobody, knows, what the heck is that? Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so I remember we were playing outside and I'm a, i am I think I'm like eight or nine, somewhere on there. And, uh, I tell the kids all around me, you know, from now, from here on out, you're going to call me Casey. I don't, I don't know where I grabbed that name. It just, I grabbed it, ran with it, and everybody agreed that they would be calling me Casey from that moment on. And the next thing I know, <laughs> I've convinced a whole entire, you know, 15, 20 kids, and <laughs> Casey is what they're calling me. Uh, and then my, my my mom calls me Casey. I mean, to this day, my my, my mom, <laughs> my my biological mom calls me Casey. She doesn't, she doesn't call me Darryl. uh My dad, everybody, uncles, cousins, I was referred to as that. So all this time up to that point in that cell, that's my name. And I see this guy on this cross. And, um, uh, you know, I, I share this because I think that when uh, and I strongly believe that when Christ comes to to your life, to anybody's life, he's going to come to you in a a way that you understand him and what he's trying to do and the plan of salvation. And for me, I understood death. I understood the sounds of someone literally dying within arm's reach. Uh, That doesn't erase And uh, he's on the the cross, and and he says, Darwin, I did this for you. And that uh, was the moment that, I mean, nobody had to tell me how to pray. Nobody had to tell me any of that. It was almost um, something that was placed in there all along that I knew I had to deal. And I got on my knees in the middle of that cell. And I wept, man. I, I I wept like I just wept. And uh, and I know that at that moment, it wasn't that I understood that what I had did all this time uh, with all my crimes. Um, it wasn't that I had did crimes. It was magnified. It was more than that. It was that I had sinned before God. That made my sin, but the Bible says, exceeding sinful. Like that made sense to me in that moment. And until you, until a person repents and understands that, you know, the sin that, that we're born sinners, until you, until you have that, that moment by yourself with God, you're not gonna understand even that part of the story because it, it won't make sense. Until you've tasted what God has done on that cross, the redemption, the, the price that he paid uh, the ransom that he is uh, for us, that he became for us. I mean that that when that starts to make sense, then you go, oh, you know, and you really don't even need an instructor. He, the Holy Spirit is now with you, and and I think I believe strongly. Believe in. I know that that that's what it was. Is that what drove me to my knees? And and I remember uh, saying, you know, God, uh, and, and and it was very raw. You know, God, I uh, I'm sorry for. Stabbing that guy in the eye. I'm sorry for stabbing that guy in front of his mom. All, all this, I mean, I, I was just being real, man. You know, and, and I think that when you get real with, with, with the Lord uh, and, and, you know, what else could you do, man? It's not like you could hide from him. He knows all things, right? He knows all our secrets and everything. So it's it's it's, it's kind of foolish to think that we, we can hide things uh, from him knows everything so uh, I I believe that while I was doing that uh, there was something that was being healed inside of me uh, of of, you know and and, and it felt like it it felt like a cleaning that was happening in that cell with my heart and and I had to make some some decisions following that incident uh, where I came to Christ um, that I knew I had to make and, well, I, I had no problem uh, making those decisions uh, made known to anybody and everybody in, in the system there.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing part of the book, too, folks. And as Casey mentioned, I talk about every time. <laughs> but, yeah, that part was tough. When you finally, when you ask God what to do, he told you what to do. You did it. But it came with a lot of uh, consequences. And it was interesting because your faith was challenged at one point you buckled, and I wanted to ask you, not necessarily about that point in the faith, because I could see why, I could see why the frustration was going on there. And it was funny, because I was waiting to see, when I was reading the book, I was waiting to see, is Casey gonna talk about Job? Is Casey gonna talk about Job? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't talk about Job, it's like, okay. Um, but you know, it reminded me too, because individuals who don't go the way you go, the way you went, okay talk the way you went in the sense of finding god sometimes i'll hear the opposite which is why weren't you there when my mom and dad were doing these things to me why weren't you there why did i end up with this life um did you ever have that moment during the time when you started finding god did you ever say why did you allow all this other stuff to happen couldn't I have learned a different way um
0: you don't know no, um uh, I don't remember of time of, uh, and I think it has a lot to do with um, when when I came to Christ. Um, I I, I, it, I owned my crimes. Uh, I, I am I, I I knew that no, this, these are decisions that I made. This is I got myself into this mess, and and I owned every bit of it. Um, so it wasn't society's fault. It wasn't my the environment that I grew up in. It wasn't because, you know, politicians weren't doing their jobs. It wasn't, I didn't play the victim mentality. Uh, I, I owned every bit of my crime. And I mean, even when I went to the parole board on the time that I, I paroled, I had no clue that I was getting out. And in fact, when they asked me, you know, uh, you know, why should we let you go home? Why should we parole you? My answer to them, and I don't know if they've ever had an me, they told them that. But I remember telling them, you know, I, I, you shouldn't. I, I don't deserve to ever be out. In fact, I think that what the court gave me, they should have just ended it for me. I should never get out for what I've done. And I don't think that they were ready to hear that. I, I, I think that that took them, you know, I, I think that that just kind of threw a, a, a you know, a curveball at them because how do you answer that? You know, how do you respond to that? as, you know, as a parole board, this guy's not trying to get out. He's saying, I deserve to be in here. And and, and I really, I meant that because I knew what I had committed. I knew what I was sentenced for. And I wasn't just that. I knew about the things that I, you know, you know, got away with, uh, you know, or at least I thought that I got away with. Those things, the, the, the things that, you know, all the other stuff, man. So. I just I didn't see myself as a victim. Uh, I, I saw myself as someone that uh, how can I complain uh, about my situation right now when I've done so much to people and I've hurt people. I've I've i I've, I've done some horrible stuff to people. And and yeah, there were gang members, yes, there were, you know, we could say well well. Those were violent acts against other rival gang members. At the end of the day, they were human beings and my hands did those things. And so, uh, yeah, I I think that I just never had a victim mentality. Uh, And a lot of that, I see that today in today's society, everybody plays that victim card and I I just don't buy it. You know, you have choices. Uh, There was people that I grew up with that never got involved in gangs. Choices, you know, uh, uh, and you, you make a good choice, you get a good result. Make a bad choice, and you're gonna have to eat that, 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 some humble pie there. Humble <laughs> pie.
1: No, you're absolutely right. Cause I, every time I tell people when I do research or I talk about serial killers or things or pedophiles of that nature, when I explain their background, people think I'm trying to justify or or play the victim card like no no no. i just want to know if we can discover the factors that can lead to this behavior because if we can then we can create preventative measures hopefully in the future so if we know single parent homes are more challenging if we know violence in the home increases the likelihood of committing intimate partner violence later in the future we can work on those things early and try to stop those things it isn't that yeah we're going to give carlos a uh, an excuse because he grew up in a violent home. Because, like as you said, Casey, it's kind of funny you mention it because I always ask a lot of times when I was lecturing, I always said, "Has anybody ever thought why certain people in these areas are not gang members, but yet they're in poor socioeconomic conditions with violence around them, and not everybody joins?" <laughs> it doesn't doesn't work that way. Actually, a good friend of mine from LA Sheriff's, um, he grew up in a an area filled with gangs and an interesting comment he made. I don't know if you ever heard this. So um, oh, I'm going to back it up for a second. I had to make this comment. <laughs> when you said I shouldn't get out and just remembering seeing you saying that to Max, Maximum John, yeah. I thought, all right, Casey, you might not get out after that one. <laughs> but anyway, when my friend said to me, he said when, when he was hanging out with his friends, some were cousins, some were friends that were gang members, they told them not to get in they said you're not one of us you shouldn't do this you should go to school wow have you ever heard that
0: yeah you know what in, in fact uh oh, oh no fact, <laughs> uh, there's a there's an episode that I shared uh, one of the early episodes in the, uh, that I share about there was an individual in our gang who um, I, I don't believe in bad luck but man if it that exists uh, that guy had it um, this guy, uh, had got stabbed multiple times on different times, uh, been shot different moments. I mean, this guy had been stabbed. I don't know how many times. And, and, and uh, and I remember that we, we got raided one, 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 uh, evening, uh, we're on the streets hanging out in our neighborhood and, uh, the crash rampart crash units, uh, came in and, and raided us and we're running. And, uh. I ran a, a certain direction, and he followed me. And I told him, "I said, don't you know, you know, go the other way." And he wanted to stick with me. And uh, the route that I took, we were standing on top of a uh, a mechanic shop, a body shop. And um, you know, you're you're agile when you're young, uh, and it was an, a, a a a big jump. It was probably about maybe a, you know a twelve foot drop or whatever. And I ran and I jumped and I made it to the bottom uh, without no problem. He had just got picked up the night before uh, from the hospital from being stabbed. He had got stabbed, I don't know, like fifteen times. And this guy's still wearing gauze uh, 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 you know, on his head, oh, and he's in the neighborhood and he's he can't run. You know, he's running, but he's not like running like I am. And I, I when I land, I, I start running, you know, towards the street, and the next thing I know, I turn around and this dude's screaming because when he tried to make the jump, he landed on barbed wire, oh. Oh. brand new barbed wire on the telephone post and on uh, and uh, on the on the lip of a uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of the wall that of that, uh, of that uh, mechanic shop, body shop, and he's hanging oh, on nice. barbed wire. And I I, I I turned around and I had to make a decision. You know, do I leave, do I literally leave leave him this guy hanging, or do I help him? And so I run back to him and I grab him by the by the uh, by his um by his leg, and I yank him down. So it's like shredded beef, man. And the, his arms are gone, now. And we made it across the street. I mean, it sounds silly. It sounds like a silly story, but this really happened. And I remember we got into this abandoned. Uh, Building across the street, and we walked. We managed to walk about towards the back, and I think it was like maybe a a flight and a half of stairs up, and we could hear the sirens and the helicopter and all that. So we stayed there, and he's just bleeding profusely all over the place. And I remember having this talk with him, and I said to him, "I said, I said, hey man, uh, uh, I just don't think this is for you, brother. I like, I think that you." You, you you need to do something else other than this, because this is this look, I'll co-sign for for you uh moving on, bro. I don't think this is for you. You know, that kind of thing. Could you imagine that somebody telling you, you know, you're just not made for this. You know, go go to school or go learn something, but this is not for you. <laughs> and uh I don't know what happened to, to homeboy uh, but uh 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 <laughs> oh. actual. Uh, this actually happened and so yeah i i, I was a uh, <laughs> uh trying to tell somebody you know do something else rather than uh <laughs> uh, uh gangbang uh here in l.a it's just not you know what I mean? oh, man
1: i guess if there's a you remember cluzo uh, who cluzo the pink no. panther oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the Pink Panther of Gangs, I guess. Pink Panther of Gangs,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: man, that's a crazy story. Well, I guess in our last few minutes together, and thank you so much for taking the time, too, Casey, for doing this. I know you're a busy guy. Again, folks, the book is called The Shot Caller. The podcast is called The Shot Caller. Make it easy for you. Uh, Casey Diaz, um, in our last few minutes together, I wanted to kind of bounce around. I, I know we we're wrapping up the story there. And I guess it's great for people to go now and buy the book and find out what happens. You have a lot of stuff going on when you finally converted. And then you went, uh, what, what happened to you when you did say that, um, how they treated you. And then you had some incredible miracles throughout your time because you kept moving from one place to another. You made some friends in there. I think Abel was one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you had another experience when you got out. <laughs> so that was fascinating, too, uh, at least for the first 24 hours when you got out and uh, you were doing some work already quickly uh when you got out too um one of the things i guess first corinthians comes to mind first corinthians 10 right god doesn't give you anything you can't handle did you ever get to that did you ever see that in your head when you were going through some of the stuff after you converted and you became saved <laughs> did you say that to yourself like i god doesn't give me more than i can handle god doesn't give you more than i can handle um
0: you know, I I had moments in there where where you um you you, you I don't know if it doubt I, I I think it's more of a uh, uh, and it, it's not it's not regret it, it's uh you almost feel like God just uh, bamboozled you in, in some some kind of way right because you know and, and I remember saying this in one incident you know because man I I was getting some pretty pretty some 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 beatings that i shouldn't have been i shouldn't be doing this interview right now in in my right five i mean that that's just uh that's how brutal they were but i remember telling god you know uh, you know i did i did this for you i I did all this for you i gave up all of this you know and and this is what i get you know i remember having that that and it was it's, it's almost like an argument with god right and uh and then you know God has a way of putting you in, in your place when when you hear him telling you, "No, you didn't give up everything for me. I gave up everything for you." And then you kind of go, okay, let me be quiet and <laughs> let me let me gather my my thoughts here a little bit better because you know that's the reality. God gave everything for us. Um, you know what we, whatever we have, whatever we give up that that should have been. That's just automatic, uh, but you know. So yeah, there was moments where frustration came in uh, when uh, uh, there was no pity parties uh, that I had. It, it was just uh, you know when is it, when is this gonna stop kind of thing, you know? Because uh, the beatings were right after one, right after the other, and uh, and 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 it wasn't just me. Um, uh, just to you know, for the record, there was other Christians that. You know, came uh, through me witnessing, uh, and they had to endure just the same, and some even much more than what I had to go through uh, uh, through that time. Uh, I, I think um, I had a, I had a great conversation with someone uh, from a, a very good friend of mine that was also a Christian now, and, and he 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 was in the Pelican Bay shoe and. We had a good conversation, and uh, one of the, the things that we were commenting on was, you know, everything that we got, we had coming, uh, all of it, you know. Uh, so we couldn't complain about, you know, you know, oh, you know, oh, we got beat again, you know. What was me, you know? That the we had it coming. I mean, what do you expect, you know? Uh, and, and I think that the, well, not that I think I know that reading the stories of Paul and Peter uh, and Stephen and, and all these these godly men that had absolutely no problem with giving up their own lives uh, for the gospel's sake. That really encouraged every single one of us uh, to, you know, hey, uh, we, we were willing to die for a, for a neighborhood. How much more for this gospel? Uh, if, if that's what it's going to take, then, uh, then that's what it's gonna take. I, I remember sitting with, uh, getting a haircut one time with one of my, uh, one of the guys that came to Christ and, and he's cutting my hair and, and, and he says this to me, he says, uh, you know, you think, uh, you think we're gonna make it out alive out of this place? You know, and, and that was like out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Um, he says, you ever, you think we're gonna make it out alive out of this place? And I said, regardless uh, of what happens, we make it out alive out of this place. And it took him a second to actually understand what I was saying. That regardless of whether we die in this prison because, you know, somebody takes our life because we're simply serving Christ in here. If we understand the scriptures, then we come out alive regardless, um, whether paroled or, you know, (laughs) by losing our life. So there was great comfort in, in, in the fellowship that I had that we all had in there with, with those that came to Christ uh, during that time.
1: Oh, that's a great, great story. And I guess in our last couple of minutes, um, take it away from the book for a second. What are some of the things you could share with people that you want to kind of straighten out about prison? Um, what, what is one myth, I guess, that pops up to you that says, no, this isn't true <laughs> uh, about prisons that you want to tell people? And then maybe you can give us your message to people who are in gangs today.
0: I, I think the, the, uh, the false narrative of loyalty uh, mm. in in gangs uh, or in organized uh, you know gang activity. Uh, there is no such thing. There is absolutely no such thing as loyalty. I don't care how. I don't care if you grew up with somebody. It, it could be your cousin. It could be you know, a a relative that you admire in there and you're in the same, you know, situation with them. And and, uh, there is absolutely no loyalty in any gang activity whatsoever. You will see, uh, you will see (laughs) right off the bat, how quickly people will forget you and, um, and they won't care anything about you being in there. Uh, and the cause, the causes, is you're losing so much valuable time. Uh, I talked to uh, 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 one of my buddies out here uh, who I led to the Lord as well. And, you know, some of the things that we share is you know, how, how much further we would have been in life had we known the Lord, you know, a lot sooner. Could we have avoided avoided all this? Um, and the answer is no, because this is our, our portion. This was our, our 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 cup, and we needed to go through this uh, to in order to understand and be thankful for what we do have now, and do the best out of it, and and be a a, a voice to warn everybody, uh, especially kids nowadays. That you know they're hearing rap songs about violence, about carrying guns, and sleeping around and all that uh, most of your rappers if not all of them they've never been one day inside of a solitary confinement cell you know it's all makeup it's all uh it's it's a show it's a show they've never done it themselves otherwise they would they wouldn't be singing and making millions out here uh so it's it's all a, a, a it's a waste of time and what i would say to the young people that are either in gangs or contemplating and joining uh, gangs. Don't do it, just don't do it. You, you will, I don't care how high up the rank that you'll ever reach, it is absolutely not worth it. It's not one day worth you serving one day in, in, in a jail cell or in a prison cell. You, you will waste valuable time and you're worth much more than, than that. You're, you're valuable. I think that's what it is, man. Um, you know, people are valuable. And if you never heard somebody tell you that you're valuable, I'm telling you, your, value, your life really matters and you can do something so awesome and unique. And you're designed to make something awesome and unique that no one else can but you. Yeah, there's only one of you. And, 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 and use that. Use the gift and the talent that God has put inside of you. You know, go looking for uh, a, a church that, that teaches the Bible, go, go, go hang out with healthy people that, that'll, that, that'll pour into your life. Listen to that police officer that's trying to tell you you're doing the wrong thing. Listen to them and respect them and, and know that they're not telling you that because it, they're telling you that because they understand that you're wasting your time in the life of crime. It, it, it never pays and you will regret Ever spending one minute incarcerated, it's not worth it.
1: Great message. I think we can wrap it up there, Casey Diaz. The book called The Shock Collar, the podcast called The Shock Collar. Thank you so much, Casey, for being here.
0: Man, thanks so much for having me. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an honor to, to be on your podcast.
1: It was an incredible conversation, my friend. Incredible conversation. God bless. Thank you, everyone. Make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. Hey, if you're on Apple, hit those five stars.